notion that Barack Obama is the first black president. He doesn't have to be. We don't want him to be the last. And there's only so far down the field he can push the ball. Maybe our expectations of him as the first are unreasonable. Well, Tavis, that's ludicrous, as Mike Tyson might say. Um, and, and, and because everybody, you know, I was the first, so I wanted to be calm and reasonable in articulating my viewpoint. But you know I'm fired up right now. All right, and, and, I, and I'm gonna just take half a minute more because I wanna say this. First of all, he is the first black president, but we gotta remember that. Jackie Robinson was the first. Jackie Robinson wasn't the best ball player. He was the best ball player suited to exist under the conditions that white folk would impose upon him. So I'm not suggesting that Mr. Obama is not a brilliant man. I knew him earlier than most people in this building, since 91. I was with Obama when most people who were black were with Hillary Clinton, when they were calling him Barack Obama. I knew who he was. I loved him. So I take second seat to no one. I love him. I love him walking down Air Force One. I love how he walks down and hollers at people. I love how he looks at black folk. I love how he looks at white folk. I love how he gives that Negro intimacy that is communicated telepathically. I love all of the symbolic gestures that are articulated from Obama. But at the end of the day, he's Jackie Robinson. I'm waiting for Willie Mays to come behind him because Willie's got a hell of a thing. Number two. Fellow teammates, welcome to another episode of the Move Swiftly podcast. I am your host, Aswan Crookshank, the founder of Gym 44 Recruiting and author of Swiftly, Your Guide to Innovative Teamwork. Teammates. About two and a half years ago, something like that now, I attended the USA Football Conference in Orlando. It was an incredible, incredible networking opportunity for me. I, I got the chance to see Mike Tomlin speak. There were breakout sessions. It was an entire weekend. I got a hotel. And man, I just enjoyed myself. I felt I was back to my old self, you know, USA football, I ran out of college. I was the independent scout. I did a lot of stuff with FBU, man. I was just around my people, football, just football people. All right. I had the chance to meet a guy who ran a camp series. It was the rivals camp series and they put on little combines and things like that throughout the entire country. Therefore, after, after the conference, I decided that I was going to attend the combine that he had set in Miami, the, the Rivals combine that was set in Miami. It was on a Saturday at a local high school in Miami or something like that, and I made the point to drive out there, get back to my old self. At this point, I'm really starting to get Jim 44 back rolling. I'm, I'm back to doing me, back to doing what I always envisioned I was going to be doing, which is recruiting and scouting ball, seeing who can really play, seeing the ballers. That was my dream right out of college. Now, I get to this combine in Miami. It was, like I mentioned, it was at a high school in Miami. And like the second I get there, I meet a mother. She was a Jamaican mother and she's messages. She's taking my information down, texting me all her son's information as that always, like I was so used to how to get information from the parents and things like that. I knew the right questions to ask, all that stuff. All right. 
Now the combine finally started, and I'm watching the guys. I'm watching the players. I'm there doing what feels like my job or just what I'm naturally called to do. And there was this father there, brother, black father, who was, I believe he was a single father, and I'm not sure, but anyway, he would not let me watch the he would not let me watch the combine at all. He wouldn't let, like, he was asking me question after question after question. And, I mean, I couldn't, I wasn't affiliated with a specific team, so I just had to answer it in my head. I knew I was, I was just that guy that had a lot of information on how to get recruited. I knew exactly what his son needed to be doing. All this shit, all right? The guy takes down my number. We... And he, he, again, even after he has my number, he still just wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let it go. He just, yeah, you got one. And then this, and then, then should he be, and these were the questions. Like, should he be talking to the coaches now? Well, what should his grades be like? Or this, that. I mean, just constant, constant, constant. I felt like I was at work, you know, like, damn. And anyway, as persistent as he was and as pushy as he was, you would think that, he would follow up. You would think that he would be a little more enthusiastic. He would be a little more persistent after that. But that didn't happen. He, he blew me off. You know, when it came to some of the things that I was telling him to do, I told him to have his son make a list of schools. I told him to, to make sure where he's training is the right. I mean, I was giving him a lot of great advice, even through some of our messaging. And eventually, he just blew me off. <laughs> the same guy that was persistent and wouldn't let me watch the combine blew me off. Another black man blew me off. And teammates, that brings me to the topic of today's discussion. All right. Black man versus black men, plural. And again, this is one of those subjects that it, there's no way I'll be able to confine it to just one episode because there are countless, countless countless experiences that I've had where we as black men do that to other black men, where, where we do not understand the importance of having your fucking word. Your word is everything in many cases. All right. And I've lived through this my entire life. Like I mentioned, this is, I'm going to abbreviate. <laughs> this is a subject that it, I'm going to try to abbreviate as best as I can. Because, it, again, it will require episode after episode after episode. You guys have heard from tons of different people, and you'll continue to hear from tons of different people where we as black men have to figure out ways to come together to create generational wealth. We got to get out of our own shit about what's just best for us. I mean, the guy is, I'm there enjoying the fucking combine, and he's just constantly asking about his son, his son, his son, his son. And then a few weeks go by and you don't even listen to what it is I'm saying. That's what that's what's ridiculous. I'll, I, actually, I'll give you another example. When I first got to Florida, I lived in St. Petersburg and a few months went by. Man, listen, I was struggling, as I've mentioned to you guys in the past. I was struggling in many ways, in so many different ways. I was struggling because I knew absolutely no one in St. Petersburg area. I was struggling to pay rent. I had a, a job at Orange Theory, pretty much just a part-time job at Orange Theory. I still had this dream of doing all these great things, and I just left home, right? I just left Silver Spring, Maryland, and in the back of my mind, I was saying to myself, 
did I make the right decision? Driving around this 20-year-old Mercedes-Benz that can't make it, you know, that by the grace of God even made it to Florida, I couldn't do anything, all right? I needed support in, way, in so many different ways. I needed support. I talked to my mother a lot, especially during that time. And the one thing that she would tell me, she said, look, son, no matter what, always make sure you're keeping yourself groomed, right? Make sure you're keeping yourself groomed. Don't be looking, don't be out there looking all raggedy. Because of that, I would make sure I got my hair cut every two weeks or basically every 10 days or two weeks or whatever, because that's how my hair grows. Once it starts growing, it looks very rugged and raggedy. The beard doesn't grow as smooth as I'd like. So every two weeks, I made sure I found a spot to get a haircut. Luckily, near my apartment, there was a, a barbershop, black barbershop, real black, bar, for, you know, cutting black people here that I fell in love with. I mean, they hooked me up. <laughs> they hooked me up. When I say they hooked me up, every time I would get a haircut, I, would, I worked at an Orange Theory. And the, the people, is a lot of women that work at that Orange, at Orange Theory in general. So I'm working at the Orange Theory and I could see the way the women were looking at me after I got my haircut. I'm like, cool. I'm with my dog. I, I like this place. You know, I was getting good reviews, shit like that. And anyway, I would, like I mentioned, I would go to that barbershop very frequently and there was a, there was a, one of the barbers, brother, like a black barber. Well, they were all black. But there was one barber who was really, really talented. Really talented because he was always there. In fact, there was, a, there was one time he and I were talking, and I remember him telling me, yeah, you know, listen, when you look at all of the, the clients I got and as much as I've been working, at the end of the year, you're talking about close to six figures I'm making. Six figures just by being a barber, being a licensed barber. And he was good at what he did. And the more the more I got to know him, he was telling me how he got his license and he was qualified to cut white people's hair. And he wasn't just a black barber. He did a lot of different things. You know, he's very talented as a barber. And there was a situation one morning in which he was just venting. He was venting because there were some things that he was going through. There was just something that that happened. And he used this phrase. It's a phrase that really stuck with me. He said, black don't support black. <laughs> and he said it with a, a natural tone and he was hurting. You could tell it was hurting him, but he had gotten over it. He had accepted the fact that black ain't going to support black. And teammates, that, that's where I want to get you to. All right. And many times, especially to my young black brothers that are listening in, Young black men trying and trying and trying and trying to do something. The fact that black ain't going to support black is not a burden. You are not a burden to all the, the black people out there. All of the things that haven't been accomplished. Don't look at it at a, as a burden. It is your blessing. Teammates, it's your blessing. It's your blessing. It's the fact that you know you're not necessarily going to get support from someone who has the mindset of building generational wealth means you have got to be that much more on point with everything you do. Everything, every little action, every nook, every point of the business, every corner has to be thought out. It makes you that much better. OK, I mean, listen, and I'm, I'm not talking to you from the perspective of someone who just is, has gotten over it. I've, my mother, listen, my mother has heard me 
vent about this situation over and over and over again. And you know what her very first response is? Every time I slip into that, that place where I start feeling sorry for myself, the, is this her word specifically? It's, it's making you stronger, son. And I'm telling you guys the same thing right now. It's making you stronger. It's making you just a little more on point. It's making it so you got to do whatever it is you do. You got to be a whole lot sharper in everything you do. Don't let the fact that you're an African-American male be the reason or, or be the excuse for you not getting to wherever it is you want to get to. There's enough of that shit. There's enough of that shit. Oh, the white man. Hold There's enough of that shit. Listen, I'll give you another example, a recent one. And this is this was honestly one of the reasons I decided to, to speak on this topic today. Recently, recently, as you guys know, I've, I've developed as a boxing trainer, as a well-known boxing trainer. And people are paying me to train their kids to box and things like that. And I do it at a local park. It's another black father who, as I'm going to my car, I'm finishing training, I'm going to my car, and he stops me and he says, hey, you train kids now? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I got a little one that, that would be interested, and I put the kid through everything. I have him take his little jab step. I give him my phone number. I give him the prices, which are very affordable prices. It's only 30 bucks a month to do it. It's not that much. Everything. Run him through everything. Everything. And I don't hear back from the fucking guy. Don't hear back. Send him a mess. I mean, don't hear back. Here's what made it worse. And I guess that's, this is honestly what got me so fired up to, to give this talk is apparently he was talking about me to one of his friends because I get a random phone call from another black father that says, and he says to me, it was a Friday. It was a Friday. He says to me, yeah, so-and-so gave me a number, man. And, you know, I'm trying to get my son in the box too and, and do this and do that and all this other bullshit. And... Again, I sent him the same information that I sent the other gentleman, and I don't hear back after that day. Not even a, hey, sorry, but he's not interested. Not even to let me know. That's the kind of shit I have to deal with. But I, I'm not up here. I don't want you guys to think I'm up here complaining about it. I'm learning. I'm accepting it. I'm giving this talk to you so you understand it's no longer my burden. It's no longer my burden. It's my blessing. It's my blessing. It's God blessing me to say, hey, Aslan, you don't even worry about having to be some kind of spokesperson for black people. You just do you and be the model, be the model, be the model and be someone that could really teach these, especially the young black kids, the realities. I believe it was a Tupac line in Smile. He goes, there's no fairy tale for this young black male. Oh, man. Oh, man. Hey, listen, jot that down. Teammates, jot that down. Tupac said, no fairy tale for this young black male. I'll close with this. I'll close with this story. High school, back in high school, especially when I first started, when I, my freshman year at Good Council was extremely rough. You guys have heard me talk about it in great detail. It's extremely rough. First time I was around ever around so many white people. And then I, I didn't play on a high school football team yet. My grades sucked. I really didn't have any friends. And it was like, look, grades suck. He's black and <laughs> doesn't play any sports, at least to their knowledge. There was absolutely nothing going for me in high school. Okay. Nothing. I mean, my freshman year in high school, pretty much throughout the four years until I found the football team, all that jazz. 
the one thing, the one thing that got me through that situation, it got me through that life, it got me through that time, I should say. My mother would drop me home after school. All right, she we would you know, we would ride home together after school. I believe she got off at around that time and she'd pick me up at the library or pick me up during these things and you know, we'd have a lot of great dialogue and I I'm, I'm sure she's loving the fact that I'm saying this now because she would always tell me shit about you're going to miss these days, son. You're going to miss these days. <laughs> anyway, they had a time after school during my freshman year in which I was telling her whatever she asked me how the day went. And I told her, you know, I was just had a shitty day. I got about four or five demerits, got in trouble, this, that, and the third, whatever it was. <laughs> All right. And she broke me down and said something that I really want you guys to, to listen to and want you guys to understand. All right. She says, listen, those people that you go into school with, all those little white boys, their families own this. Their families own this business. Their families have what I like to call now generational wealth, generational wealth, meaning they are in a different tax bracket. They're in a different place in this world. They are, they have everything. They have a foundation that you don't have, son. They have a foundation that you don't have. And she said those words to me. And then, and then she ended her, her advice by telling me this. she said, you keep pretending. You keep pretending you're one of them. You keep pretending you're one of them and you will never, ever make it. You will, you will be disappointed. You will be kicking yourself for blowing this opportunity. And teammates, I'm telling you the same thing. More so for my young black men. My young black men out there who have weren't around during slavery time. They didn't know. They don't know it. Whatever. Don't pretend. Do, that's the worst thing you can do. Do not pretend that you're one of them. Do not pretend anything. Be yourself. And I, I get it. Trust me. It's easier said than done. Easier said than done. But anytime you're in a situation like I've been in where I, I, it almost hurts me to have to even give this talk and tell you about these black fathers that have blown me off. It hurts me. It hurts me just as much as it probably hurts them hearing it from me. But it has to be said. We got to start holding ourselves accountable because if we don't do that, we're never going to grow. Last thing I'll say, last thing I'll say, and I, I really want you guys to pay attention. There's a book. There's a book that really helped me understand and see this. It's titled Letters to a Young Brother, written by Hill Harper. Hill Harper, who is an actor, he's acted in... Man, he acted in Into Deep. There's a ton of movies that he's acted in. Just Google the name Hill Harper and it's Letters to a Young Brother. There's a ton of things. I don't even want to diminish all the things that he's accomplished by just looking at one movie. Just Google the name Hill Harper. Title of the book is Letters to a Young Brother. And he starts off this book by saying, he's talk, obviously he's talking to young black men. And he's saying, he said, you are a new and improved vehicle. I'm telling you guys the same thing. Young black men listening to me right now, you are a new, improved vehicle. Do not let what other people have gone through, do not let what other black men try to put the burden on you. Do not let them do that. You continue to be yourself, continue to try to improve situations, and together, 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 we will create 
generational wealth. Fellow teammates, continue to move swiftly. We'll talk more soon. That is my answer to Spike Lee. Go to hell. Go. Sh- I will punch the hell out of you. Say something. Let me just let me just say this about Spike or anybody else, or all the critics, anybody else. You know, it's only black people that do this to each other. I have never seen Jewish people complaining about Seinfeld. I've never seen Italian people complaining about The Sopranos. It's only us as Negroes that do this to each other. It's and I can't fix it. Booker T. Washington and W. E. B. Du Bois did it. You know, uh, Langston Hughes said that Zora Neale Hurston was a new version of the darker. This woman wrote, "Their eyes were watching God." She spoke from a Southern point of view. Here he here uh, Langston is in New York with his Harlem slickness, and he couldn't understand it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. I speak from the South. People love. It. Why in the hell would I sit here worried about Spike Lee? September 28th. Check it out. All right, now I want to get to what's really bothering me. Okay. I want to ask, I want to ask black people what we want. Mm-hmm. What do we want? We we complain that people of color weren't getting opportunities in Hollywood. We were getting ignored for the Oscars, for the Emmys. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing. After that big thing, people of color got recognized for their hard work, for their efforts and run awards. People of color also won Emmys. Mm-hmm. People of color are now being given opportunities to star, to lead in various projects. Well, just the ugly people, okay. according to some. Just according to some. Okay. I when ugly. the people of color, <laughs> when the people of color get these opportunities, At all. why are the people of color the ones that are tearing the people that are getting the opportunities down. Mm-hmm. My frustration comes from, you don't realize when I preach about the crabs in the barrel mentality, that eventually we have to take responsibility for our actions. Mm-hmm. So if I'm looking at people that share my craft, I'm going to bring up the people that Cat Williams name. Mm-hmm. Little Rel, Gerard Carmichael, mm-hmm. uh, Hannibal Burris, myself, Tiffany Haddish. Correct. Little Rel, is seeing so much success after doing a special relevant. He went on to do Get Out. He now has a show that he's producing and starring in on Fox. Gerard Carmichael had his own show that he starred, wrote, produced. Gerard Carmichael was on to a second special. Hannibal Burris saw success within comedy specials and is now doing various movies where he's getting the opportunity to have features and to have a mm-hmm. presence. Me, Kevin Hart, the guy that sits on top right now, have taken advantage of all the money that I have. I've shot over 56 specials for the up-and-coming generation of comedy. Why? Because I'm trying to create opportunities for others. Rather than complaining about it, I'm fixing it. Mm. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Mm -hmm. I also take full responsibility for any and everything that I've done in the fucking business. Mm. Good or bad. My frustration with Cat Williams comes from, you keep pointing at Hollywood. Hollywood this, the white man, this, this, and this. When do you take responsibility for your actions? You had the shot. Cat was in that position at one point. You were the guy. You were set up to be the star. You didn't show up to work. You fucked off promo shoots. You fucked off your promo fucking uh, trips that they had set up for you. You became a risk to the studios, which is why the studios stopped fucking with you. Why was he a risk? He chose drugs. Oh, okay. Take responsibility for what you chose and say, you know what? I got to fix me, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to stand up for comedy. Mm -hmm. So when you say Tiffany Haddish doesn't deserve or isn't really a comedian, and these other women have worked hard, which they have. Mm-hmm. Shouts out to Melanie Cam- Camacho. Shouts out to Lou Nell. Mm-hmm. Shouts out to Leslie Jones, who are all underneath the umbrella of Cat Williams. Cat Williams, have you ever used your platform to fucking bring the people that were under you up? Mm-hmm. 
You haven't. So because you haven't, don't shit on those that now are. I've used my platform and I've brought my guys and girls up. The brand of Kevin Hart is a brand that's expanded so fucking far, whether you like me or not, my presence of comedy will forever be felt because mm. I'm a fucking boss. Mm. I sit on the top of it and the opportunities that I'm given are the ones that I'm creating. Mm. So take responsibility for what you did. You fuck you. Nobody else did. You don't hear Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, the Kings of Comedy, Seinfeld. You don't hear George Lopez, mm-hmm. Eddie Griffin. You don't hear fucking... Uh, uh, who who else can I go down the, the road of other comedians? Steve Martin, Martin Short. You don't hear Naive. the guys that got on top mm-hmm. and that made it by doing what they love complain about the people that are coming under them. Mm-hmm. The reason why is because they're happy with themselves. Mm. Don't blame everybody else for your shit. Don't shit on my sister light because you're not happy with your shit. This shit is earned. It's not given. I don't give a fuck if you're a Tiffany Haddish fan or not. It's earned. Mm-hmm. Tiffany Haddish got years in the game. It's not an accident that Tiffany Haddish got an opportunity to star in a movie. It's not an accident that that character popped in the movie. Written or not written, a character has to pop it. And he... To my unborn child. Um. To my unborn. unborn child. In case I don't make it. Just remember to my daddy unborn child. Um. Get to holler at my unborn child. Many things learned in prison. Blessed and still living. Trying to earn every penny that I'm getting. And reminiscing to the beginning of my mission. When I was conceived, it came to be in this position. My mama was a panther loud. Single parent, but she proud. When she witnessed baby boy rip a crowd. To school, but I dropped out. And left the house. Cause my mama say I'm good for nothing. So I'm out since I only got one life to live. God forgive me for my sins. Let me make it and I'll never steal again. Or deal again. My only friend is my misery. Wanting revenge for the agony they did to me. See, my life ain't promised, but it's sure. I'm not saying I'm gonna rule the world, but I know if I keep talking about how dirty it is out here, somebody gonna clean it up. You know I'm still down for the underdog, and I know that seems real funny because everybody is saying that these days. So complicated to escape fate, and you can never understand to betray places. Tell the world I've been guilty to being anxious. Ain't no way in hell that I could ever be a rapist or something. In the hood play, I got shot five times, but I'm still breathing. Living proof there's a God if you need a reason. And I believe in my own faith. Will I raise my kids in the right or the wrong way? Dear mama, I'm a man now. I wanna make it on my own, not a handout. Make way for a whirlwind prophesied. I wanna go in peace when I gotta die. On these cold streets, ain't no love, no mercy, and no friends. In case you never see my face, I wanna distinguish myself. I believe that I'm a natural born leader. In case I pass away, but my child get to feel love. Oh, we all just cursed to be street thugs. Cause being black hurts. And even worse if you speak first. Living my life as an outlaw. What could be worse? Cause maybe if I tried to change you, I'm kidding. I'm a thug till I die. I'm a ride and make touch bases. Eat lunch and plush places. Regular criminal oasis awaits us. If there's a ghetto for truth, thugs, I see you there. And I'm sorry for not.
Well, I can take orders because I'm a good soldier. I like to give orders. On my little girls, tell the Lord I'm eternal. Rest in the peace, peace, take care of all my seeds to my own child. Yeah.